So, I am excited tonight to be preaching, and uh, I'm tired because I've preached twice this morning, then had the AGM, and then I'm back. So the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, but I am excited because uh, I want to um, uh, have the privilege of bringing God's word tonight. And one thing God's been like really impressing on me is about just really trusting in the word and trying to teach the word faithfully, which I guess is what I always do, but just kind of that sense of like, there's two words that have been sitting with me. One is uplift and one is infill. And so some sermons are full of uplift. They're very inspirational and you get very uplifted. Um, but that's great. I'm, I'm hopefully could give some uplift. But I actually think there's something deeper about infill. And uh, when I was uh, a young adult, um, I was involved in lots of different studies and stuff. Went to church on Sunday. I'd say that the sermons I heard mostly on Sunday were mostly uplift. And midweek, I used to go to some Bible teaching, and that was mostly infill. And I found that to be really boring. And I went along, and I found it pretty boring, and I, I much preferred the messages on a Sunday. But when I look back, actually what stayed with me was the midweek stuff. That was a bit hard to follow, and I had to work really hard, but I actually had a fair bit of infill going on, and that's probably what was deeper for me. So um, hopefully, I, I'm, I'm, my goal is to, to give infill as God's word um, uh, fills your hearts. So I'm going to preach through Colossians chapter 1. There's going to be six points in it. Like normally you do a three-point sermon. I'm going, to, I'm going to stretch that to a six-point sermon tonight. It's not going to be super long. I'm just, just giving you the warning, the heads up. Um, but I better start with a story. And so that if you miss all the points, you can remember the story. And uh, uh, the story, you may have heard this before. It's not like a story I made up. It's, it's just a story that I, I like. It's a story about the eagle that thought it was a chicken. Okay, and so the eagle that thought it was a chicken because it lived, it was born into a, a nest uh, that, that was above a paddock where um, uh, chickens would, you know, roam, like free range sort of paddock thing going on. And one day the, when, the, when the eagle was just like a little, little eagle, uh, I don't know what's a baby eagle called, just a, an eaglet. Eaglet, eaglet? Okay. When it was an eaglet, um, it, it fell out of the tree and, and the, it just was amongst the chickens then and it began to be raised by the chickens. And so it thought it was a chicken. And so as it grew up, it began to imitate the other chickens. It did what they did. The chickens would get their food by having their heads down all day long, just pecking at the ground all day long, peck, 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 trying to get a worm here, little bug, some sort of nutrient out of the ground, just head down, pecking away. And the chickens, the most that they would fly would be they could just like flap their wings and just enough to get up onto their perch at night. And so the eagle uh, just learned to just uh, extend its wings only a little bit, just enough to flap away and just get up onto its perch at night. And that's how it lived its life. And one day it was uh, out in the paddock and it was pecking away and uh, suddenly it saw a shadow pass by and it, and it looked up to see what was making the shadow and it saw an eagle, an eagle with its wings spread wide. And the eagle is a huge bird, They're massive wingspan, beautiful birds. And the eagle was just soaring, just catching the, catching the, the air drifts or whatever they're called because I can't think of anything tonight. Um, what are they called? Air drifts that go up. The what? Thermals, the thermals, that is the word I'm looking for. So catch the thermals. I'm telling this story so well. Um, 
And, and it's, just, it's just looking up. It's like, wow, look at that thing. Wow. And then it sees this eagle swoop down, spots its prey, swoops down and takes a mouse, like a whole big mouse, and just flies up into the heights again. And this, this eagle that thinks it's a chicken looks around at the other chickens and then looks at itself and it starts to think, maybe I'm not a chicken. <laughs> and it begins to open up its wings and spreads its wingspan out and looks and goes, wow, wow. And then it starts to, for the first time, properly beat its wings and it lifts off the ground and it soars up into the heights because it has discovered who it really was. Now, the point of this story is that God has created us with purpose and God has created us uh, to soar, but we sometimes live like chickens and we don't live out the fullness of our identity in Christ, who he has made us to be. And this passage tonight is all about being who we are created to be. The key verse in it, uh, in, in it, Paul says that he wants the Colossian church to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. To live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And when I read that verse and I read what Paul's praying for that church, there is something in me that goes, I want to do that. I don't know about you, I want to live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Because you've got to live for someone. Everyone's living for someone, right? You're either living for yourself, a lot of people are living for self. Uh, some people are living for, they kind of live for others, which sounds very selfless, but sometimes that's just driven out of fear or, or people pleasing or something like that. And, or you can live for God. And that's who you're living for. Uh, the other day, or yesterday, yesterday I was on the freeway between Harndorf and I was driving down to my daughter's school and I had to get her to a music rehearsal at one o'clock and I was the team manager for my son's tennis team and he finished late and so we had to get from Harndorf quickly down to, um, to my daughter's school and we're on the freeway and we hit the roadworks at um, Crafers. Has anyone bumped into those lately? Okay, and so suddenly I'm slowed down and... I see that the right, I'm in the right lane and the right lane's going to run out. The sign says this lane is, is running out. So I merge to the left and we start crawling along really slowly in the left lane. But then I noticed other cars, uh, because it didn't like, it didn't actually end, it didn't get blocked till probably another kilometre up ahead. So we're all crawling along the left-hand lane. But other cars are flying along the right-hand lane and they're going way ahead of me and then pulling in late. And I'm pretty disappointed by this, <laughs> let me tell you. I'm like, these guys are living for self. <laughs> you know, this is my sermon right here. And, and then we got right up near the front and um, I actually, I didn't know what I was going to do. I wound down my window. <laughs> I wanted to speak a word of like repentance and the wrath of God upon them. Um, but I didn't do that because, um, you know, because of grace and stuff. Um, but I... Um, the, the car in front of me then started letting in all these cars because I'm like, I'm not letting any of these cars in. <laughs> these are the pusher-inners. Uh, but this car in front of me let them all in. And anyway, uh, moral of the story, I don't know what it is, but um, it's a good story. Um, you can live for self, you can live for others, or you can choose to live for God. And ultimately, we've got to make that choice. 
uh, you've got to choose whether you want to chase the good life or you want to chase the God life. Paul says, live a life uh, worthy of the Lord and that pleases Him in every way. Now, I'm going to jump to the end of this passage because if anyone is listening to this sermon who is uh, maybe not a believer, maybe not someone who has faith, maybe you're not even sure about, um, about God and, and if He exists or whatever, and you will say, well, why should I live my life serving God? Why live a life for God? And uh, um, the answer is actually right there at the end of this passage in verse 12 and 13, and it says this, uh, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's it right there. That's the gospel message right there. Because God has actually brought us out of darkness and we were trapped in this situation where um, because of uh, the choices we've made and because of our sin, we were separated from God. Essentially, it was like God's here and, and, some, and we have basically turned away from God and said, not really interested. Not following your way, not trusting in you, not believing you. But by the grace of God, God didn't abandon us to that situation. But he rescued us. He actually saved us. And by his grace, he brought us into relationship with him through the blood of Jesus. You see, the message of the gospel is God loves you so much and he's, you're accepted by God and he wants to see you back in relationship with him and he achieved that through his son, Jesus Christ. And because of that, it is right and good and fitting and something that should be the desire of our heart and hopefully is to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way. So let me go back to last Sunday night. If you were here, hopefully you remember this. If you're not, let me recap the last week's message. Paul, in this letter in Colossians that we're studying, is writing to a church uh, that's in modern day Turkey, called a city called Colossae. And in the first message, he says, every time... We think about you guys. Every time I think about you guys, I give thanks to God um, because there's great things happening in your church. He says, uh, and he sort of describes a picture and you can use the image of a tree to describe what he talks about. He says, um, you have understood grace. It's like they've built their church and they built their lives on the soil of God's grace. You've understood God's grace and you're, you're drinking, you're, you're drawing in uh, from the spring of hope. So there's grace and there's hope. And out of that is growing this church like a tree growing where they have love for people and they have faith in Christ Jesus and you know, trust. They have love and trust. That's what's growing out of them. And then out of that is bearing fruit. And so he says, this is every time I think of you, I, pray, I, I give thanks to God for all of these great things. But he doesn't stop there. He says, now knowing things are going well in your life and knowing that you've got this faith, I'm going to pray for, this, for something else. There's something more I want to pray for. And so he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I love that. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And so I'm going to share with you tonight uh, six points about um, what it, how we can live a life worthy of the Lord. 
And the first one is actually not what Paul teaches, but what Paul practices, which is his prayer. So the first one is persist in prayer. And I'm doing the classic preacher thing. Every one of these has got the letter P in it just to make it memorable. Persist in prayer. In Romans 12, Paul says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction or in sufferings, and persistent in prayer. And in this verse, he's practicing what he preaches, persistence in prayer. Paul is constantly praying for this Colossian church, despite his circumstances, because he is writing this letter while he's in prison. We see this right at the end, the very last kind of verse or two of Colossians, he says, remember my chains. This guy's in chains. He's in prison. And his prayer is not, hey guys, I'm writing to you so that you will pray for me that I will be set free and brought out of prison. Instead, he writes and says, hey guys, I'm praying for you. Right? Paul's in prison and they're free. Right? Paul is eating the prison food and they're eating good food. Paul is not able to go outside. He's probably trapped in darkness. They're like living their lives happily. right? And yet he's not bitter. He's like praying for them. It's, a, it's an amazing picture. And so uh, I love that. And um, we need to be persistent in prayer because prayer is actually hard work. Prayer, I think, goes against the natural inclination of a lot of us because my natural inclination, to be frank with you, is to sort of get in and do stuff and, and try to do, do, you know, kind of work rather than to pray. I came back from holidays a couple of weeks ago and I'd signed up to go on a prayer day which Baptist churches of South Australia were putting on for all the people in ministry. And it was my second day back at work and I was like, I'm going to have heaps of work, but I really should go on this prayer day. Like, I'm a pastor, it would be good for me to go and pray. But there's this part of me which is like, almost like, wow, the rest of the staff are going to be working and I'm just going to be praying. Do you see see the problem there with my thinking? It's like, they're going to be doing real work and I'm just going to be here relaxing and taking the day off praying. Where actually, clearly, a pastor praying is a pretty good thing. So I spend that day praying, but there's always this tug on my heart. Oh, maybe I should just head off early and, and go and do some work. And I think there's a lot of us like that. And so we need to kind of learn to pray. Right now, we are in 40 days of prayer as a church. And we shared this over a couple of weeks. And we said, um, if you remember, I said, get out your phones and book in um, to pray once a day for a couple of minutes. And, and every day on Facebook, we're putting out a prayer topic. Can you remember me doing that? Anyone remember me doing that? Yes, a lot of you can. I won't get you to put your hands up, those of you who are still praying. But I suspect a lot of us, some of you guys probably were like, oh, you know, I can't really be bothered with that. Some others probably were like, yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. But as the days go by, it drops away and it doesn't happen because prayer requires uh, persistence, making it a priority and practicing. And we've got to believe that prayer is both a powerful weapon to fight a spiritual battle and a gift through which we have direct access to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is a powerful weapon to fight spiritual battles and we are in a spiritual battle. We need to remember that. And it's also a gift through which we have direct access to our Heavenly Father. If you want to live a life worthy of the Lord, be persistent in prayer. That's the first thing. Last little verse on that. Just right at the end, uh, there's a little sentence. This is one for leaders. Uh, It says this in uh, chapter 4, verse 12 of Colossians. It says, Epaphras, 
who was the guy who planted this church and is no longer with them, but he's gone somewhere else. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, sends, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greeting. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. And I, and I read that and I was like, wow, that, that's, that's convicted me right there. He's wrestling in prayer. I don't know if anyone's into wrestling. I used to be into wrestling when I was a kid. Hulk Hogan, um, you know, all those guys. That's fake. But anyway, um, that, whole, that whole idea of wrestling, maybe the Olympics is a better picture, and they grapple, they grapple, and they wrestle, and they grab hold of each other. Epaphras is wrestling in prayer for you, always. Man, I want to be a leader who's wrestling in prayer. If you're a Christian leader, if you're an elder, if you're a pastor, if you're in ministry, wrestle in prayer for the area of ministry that's entrusted to you in leadership. Okay, next point. Uh, we're going to know uh, God's plan. I'll go through these ones much quicker. We're going to know God's plan. It's, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. So he says these people have got faith in Christ in the first part of the passage, and they've got uh, love for people, but he says there's something more I'm praying for, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and that thing is that you may have the knowledge of His will. You see, basically what it's saying is everyone is actually, God's got a plan for everyone's life. And God's got a purpose for your life. And actually, God's got a, a general plan that we would follow His will and His way, but He's also got a specific plan for your life. And so you need to be praying into that plan, not just in the bigger picture, but also just in the daily path of life. In the bigger picture, a couple of words of advice. If you're seeking a bigger picture of God's plan for your life, uh, here's three things I'd say. One, if you want to know God's will, be in God's word. If you want to know God's will, be in God's word. Second thing, if you're trying to discern the bigger picture of God's plan for your life, seek wise counsel from mature Christian leaders. Don't just do it alone. A lot of people are kind of waiting for God's great plan for their life to sort of fall out of heaven in their lap or they wake up in the morning and they have a shower and the bathroom's foggy and then written on the foggy mirror is, My God, you know, God's plan for your life is this. They're waiting for some kind of great revelation and God can speak in that way but speaking through his word and through wise counsel is such valuable things to, to do. And the third thing I'd say is if you're seeking God's big plan for your life, be prepared to actually take a little step into actually um, into ministry in that direction, right? You, you think maybe you're called to be a, a pastor, well then seek opportunities to actually practice you know, preaching or caring for people in that way. Uh, if you feel God's got a calling of yours into, into mission, then maybe seek to take a step in that direction to explore that as a way. And God will often confirm stuff as we actually start to take steps in the right direction. But here's the thing. Don't just think about the will of God as some great overarching plan that He's going to reveal for your life. Because the will of God is often revealed each and every single day if you learn to listen to God in the small details. God puts people in front of you, situations before you, people on your mind. You're just going along and you think, oh, maybe I should give that person a call for some reason. And you don't even know why. And God just puts someone on your heart or on your mind. God reveals his will to us if we are listening. 
And there's so much noise in our world and we're taking so much stuff in. But I think God wants us to learn how to have our ear open to his voice in the midst of our daily life. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. I, I went away on holidays a few weeks ago and we are up in uh, Noosa and uh, we just arrived and went to do a grocery shop. And then I, um, I don't know whether I should tell this story to young adults, but it's a, it's a reasonable story. But So I went in to get some beer because I like to have a beer when I'm on holiday and just in moderation, of course. And so I went into the bottle shop and I went into the cool room and I'm looking at the beer. But because it was the whole COVID thing, it said only one person can be in this room at any time. And so the lady that worked there, she came into the room and was doing, you know, some sorting or something like that. So I looked across to her and said, oh, uh, you know, I hope we're not going to get into trouble because, you know, there's two of us in the room here. And she, um, she said, oh, oh, no, I don't think that, that I count in that. Um, and I said, oh, yeah, that's right. I said, because um, your staff and, and staff don't count, you know, so it's like in church we can have 84 people plus volunteers and staff. And I didn't say that to her. I just said, staff don't count. Um, and um, so, yeah, that, that, yeah, no, that's cool. And then she said this little comment pretty much under her breath, not really to me. She said, actually, the way things are going, I don't really count anywhere. And I was like, whoa. And, you know, in that moment you're like, do I say something here or do I not say something here? And I was like, well, I'm, I've got to say something. So I just spoke to her for like two minutes. I said, well, don't let anyone tell you you don't have any value and that you don't count. You do count and you got value. And I just spoke to her for a minute or two about that. And, um, and, and we didn't really, it wasn't a long conversation, I just... We just spoke for like one or two minutes and then that's it. I left her and I probably never see her again. Don't know what that meant for her. Don't know if she was listening. I hope it impacted her. God puts people in front of us. Little moments, little opportunities. Have your ear open to know God's plan for you. Third thing. Third thing is that we need to produce the fruit through good works. Bearing fruit, it says, in every good work. In fact, so just to understand the passage of Scripture here, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, in my version, it's then got a semicolon at the end and then it gives four kind of specific ways that, to describe ways to please God. Okay, so that's kind of the, the flow of the passage. And the first of those four is that we would produce fruit through good works, bearing fruit in every good work. And I want to suggest that in the church sometimes is that good works are highly underrated. Sometimes we rate highly uh, all sorts of other things. Like we think, what's an what's image of a, of a really passionate, living, vibrant Christian? Um, and we might think about someone who, who in worship is very demonstrative. And, I, and I'm like someone who loves to raise my hand. I think that's awesome. But we might imagine someone who kind of like, you know, is just really passionate in that way. Well, that's a picture of a vibrant Christian, a live Christian. But sometimes a vibrant Christian looks like someone making coffee before a church service or someone who rocks up in the morning and serves on a kids' ministry team so that parents are, are released to be part of church and kids are discipled to know Jesus. Or people that come along to a working bee with a whippersnipper and whippersnip <laughs> things. Or rock up early and, and, and get up behind the sound desk or whatever, you know? Sometimes it's, or go on schoolies and help out year 12s who are drunk and making stupid decisions and just care for them. 
sometimes real faith just looks very, very basic, like just doing some good works. And the church sometimes has almost been anti-works because like we're saved by grace, not by works. And we've always sometimes have a, a, a difficult relationship with works. So James, the book of James is, often talks a lot about works and stuff like that. And, and uh, Martin Luther, famous re- reformer, he considered the, uh, the epistle of straw, the letter of straw, because he didn't like it because it was so much focused on works and not enough on grace, even though there's grace in there. Uh, we are saved by grace, but we're saved and released to live a life that pleases God through works, and works are good. And in the church, let me also say this, sometimes the works or the fruit that we want to measure in church is the wrong fruit. How do churches measure success in church? Sorry, how do people in churches measure success in church? What, what, gives us, what is the sign that the church is really, really going well? When the church is full and big and growing. Now, numerical growth, great. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I like numerical growth. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't care how big a church is. It could be toxic and unhealthy and not discipling people and not leading people to show the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. That's not a fruitful church. A fruitful church is one where people are being discipled to love Jesus and then we see this evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Okay, fourth point, uh, to, to live a life worthy of the Lord is to press in for more of God's present. Verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. And I'll just say this about this. There is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And this is not growing in the knowledge about God, but growing in the knowledge of God, which is to genuinely know God. And so therefore, to do that, we don't just acquire intellectual, theological knowledge, though the Word of God is central even to knowing God, but it is to press in, in relationship to know our loving Father and to know the Son and to know the Spirit. And God is a relational God who reveals Himself to us and we can know Him personally intimately and relationally and I love those who have the desire to press in for more of God and to know him more and 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 so we should seek to press in for more of God's presence learning grace learning to dwell in grace learning to live in God and letting our whole life flow out of that relationship okay fifth point is be strengthened by the spirit's power um yeah to be strengthened by the spirit's power says here um that we would grow in the fruit, in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Uh, we all hit points in our life, and some of you might be hitting a point right now where there's something going on in your life where you're just kind of like, I can't do this, right? I, I can't do this. You know, it's too much for me. Do you know that? In some ways, that's actually a great place to reach because that's the point where you actually open the door to say, God, I really need your help. Because we're so, we're so self-reliant, so kind of depend on our own capability, and yet God's power, His Holy Spirit, is the power which is actually meant to power the, the, the Christian life. 
Like the, the early, early Christians, the early um, apostles, um, after Jesus has been raised from the dead and then ascended, he gives them this commission. He says, go into the world and make disciples of how many nations? All nations, like every nation on earth, right? Here's, here's your job, guys. Okay, and guys and girls, there's probably about, I don't know how many left followers of Jesus there was after the resurrection. Lots of people had abandoned Jesus. Maybe there was 50, maybe there was 100. He's like, hey guys, go and make disciples of the entire world and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and teach them all to obey. How are they going to do that? What did they do? Well, they waited. They waited as Jesus had told them to. Jesus said, wait, because I'm going to release power from on high. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And the church started not at the day of the resurrection, not at the day of the ascension, but on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit fell, and then the gospel got preached, and then people got saved on the day of Pentecost, because we need to be a people dependent on God's Spirit. The church... Uh, ultimately, I'm, I'm okay with strategic plans, I'm okay with, with organisation, but the church ultimately will, will advance on its knees. The church advances on its knees, which means in prayer and saying, God, we need your spirit. Uh, if we want to see God do amazing things here, it's not about planning, it's not about this, that or the other. It is about saying, Holy Spirit, come and do a work in this place. Come and do a work in our hearts. Come and do a work in our community. And that's when we're going to see God move. Last thing is uh, to declare God's praises, giving joyful thanks to the Father. This is about making a conscious decision to praise God whatever circumstances you are faced with, because uh, to praise Him not because life is easy, but because God is good. Because ultimately, despite whatever your present circumstances, you have an eternal hope, and you have an eternal future, and God is worthy of our praise and our worship, no matter what. Amen? So here's the deal. Let me close off by saying this. Um, In the 40 days of prayer, um, each day, as I said, the topic has appeared on Facebook, and, uh, and you can look it up and pray the topic. And we set these topics, um, you know, a couple of months ago, and we also planned out the preaching program a couple of months ago, and the two things were planned out completely separately. So the preaching topics and the uh, prayer topics had absolutely no relationship to each other. They're, they're not, there was no discussion or thought around the two being in any way linked. And so this morning as I get up to preach the message, which is about living a life worthy of the calling, I look up the prayer topic this morning, just before I start looking up my notes to remind myself about preaching this message about living a life worthy of the calling, I go, okay, I'll, I'll do my little prayer segment first. And I look up, and this is today's prayer. Pray that we would live lives worthy of the calling we've received. I'm like, oh! <laughs> and it's just like God just saying, I'm God. <laughs> and I can do stuff. And I've got this. And I've got a plan for you, I've got a plan for the church, and I bring stuff together in ways you don't even think about. Like it would have been really cool to to strategically plan for that to happen, but we didn't do it. But God had it sorted. God is awesome. He is the strength of our life. And so therefore, my prayer for this church is that um, since the day I heard about all you guys and since the day I got to know you guys, and I'm going to keep doing this, I haven't stopped praying for you. 
And I continually ask God that he would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives so that you, every single one of you who's a follower of Jesus and even those who aren't yet, may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you might please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and that you might give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. I get the band to come up now. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this rich word and I pray that as I've preached it, this, uh, this, this, this word might have just gone deep into people's hearts and I pray most importantly that you would actually fulfill, uh, fill in us, the, fuel in us the desire to live a life worthy of the Lord and I think about what a great height that is to live a life worthy of the Lord, to desire to please him in every way. And Lord, I know that I do that imperfectly. I know that every person here does that imperfectly and we can be discouraged. And so just as I'm praying, I feel, uh, I feel led to pray for people who go right now going like, man, I don't really please the Lord much at all. And, and maybe you're just discouraged tonight and you're like, I can't live a life worthy of the Lord. My life is a mess. And if that is you, I want to remind you of the grace of God for you and the forgiveness that has come through Jesus and the power of the Spirit to bring transformation in your life. Spirit, come and change us, change our hearts, change our lives. Point us to Jesus. Help us to follow His way and live for His glory, for your glory, God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.